Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. Check out E-Radio Show for Formula E news, Missed Apex W for coverage of the new W series, and fascinating F1 facts for bite-sized F1 trivia. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We're an independent podcast produced in this podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Today, I'm joined in the shed by F1 media legend Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Very good, actually, yeah. Uh, it's a little cold here in Monte Carlo, as you can see from my garb. Um, it's not It's not entirely sort of bikini weather. Not that I would be wearing a bikini, but um, it's, it's The stream it's thanks cold. you, Joe, for that. But at, least, but at least it's not raining. So you're not in the shed with me. We we can reveal that and drop that facade. You are in Monaco with that beautiful backdrop. Uh, can you describe the scene behind you for the audio listeners? Well, I'm not actually in Monaco. I'm in, in a place called La Turbie, which is on the big mountain behind Monaco. And if you look here, this thing here is That's... called the Tête du Chien, the dog's head. And that is the big rock you see behind Monte Carlo. So I'm basically sort of 10 minutes drive away. Uh, sitting on a terrace in a nice evening. I have a glass of rosé to keep me happy. And the only thing is I don't have enough sunshine. So, Oh, wow. But, you know, life is not so bad. You know, on the Côte d'Azur, you know how it is. I know. Um, our hearts were going to be bleeding for you in your elite journalistic motorsport world. It's the Monaco Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Is this a highlight for you? Forget about the controversy of the racing and whether or not it's good on-track action. For you personally, is this a, a good weekend to attend? Yeah, I mean, it's Monaco. Monaco is difficult. Uh, the facilities aren't as good as other places. Um, it's The traffic's 
can be very dodgy. Um, people are very, very busy. The paddock's full of hangers-on. But it is Monaco, and, and there's nothing like Monaco. And people who say it's a boring race haven't been here because you go and watch the guys going around the track here, and you, you always just go, wow, I couldn't do that. And um, that's what you have to understand about it. You know, if you want to have racing where they overtake three times every corner, this is not the place to do it. But if you want to see drivers at their absolute finest, this is a place to do it. So, you know, obviously qualifying is important because overtaking is very, very difficult, but it's not impossible. And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we've seen races here in, in the past. I remember in uh, 97 or something like that, uh, Olivier Panis coming from 13th on the grid to win. You know, it was okay, it was a little damp, but... Um, it could be damp this year, to be quite honest, although the, the weather forecast for Sunday is sunny, Saturday is rainy, so qualifying could be in the rain, which would be entertaining because we could have a ridiculous grid, um, which might be quite fun. I, I would settle for that. If you said to me, yes, it's going to have to be a dry, not that interesting race on Sunday, but we do have a dramatic mixed up qualifying on a Saturday, I think I can get on board with that, um, especially if it throws up, I don't know, uh, Ricardo up on pole randomly or something like that and uh, mean, meanwhile in your dreams <laughs> yes <laughs> well it would certainly be I, nice. I, I would love to see i would love to see daniel uh, up there on pole position but you know there's there's 20 guys all of whom are well almost all of whom are top quality racing drivers and i think that you know whoever gets around you know you have to remember here the most important thing in monaco is not to make a mistake if you make mistakes you hit the wall if you hit the wall you're nowhere. So you can start from the back of the grid. Uh, Max Verstappen, I think, did it last year. And it's, you know, it's a tough race. But at the same time, you have to remember also that Monaco is, uh, in many ways, the spirit of Formula One. <clears throat> it's, what, it's where the glamour comes from. Um, and let's face it, you know, who doesn't think the Cote d'Azur is glamorous? You know, there are more Russians here than, than, than you can imagine. And the Chinese are moving in too because they all think it's a glamorous place to be. Obviously, they haven't been to Sochi, which is the Russian equivalent of Monte Carlo in a fashion. Um, but, you know, this is, this is just a, a sexy place. And it has been a sexy place for, for, for 70 years. And the first Monaco Grand Prix was, in fact... Actually, it wasn't 70 years. It was 90 years ago this year. So it's an anniversary too. What a fascinating fact, Joe. It, well, it, I can tell you a lot more about first because the first winner was, of course, William Grover Williams, who was a fabulous character, um, who was a secret agent in World War II and, uh, and was parachuted into France and um, was, was actually uh, murdered or executed, rather, as a spy. Is that in your book, Grand Prix Saboteurs? It is his story, yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. Well, you can get lots of fascinating F1 facts from Joe with his bathroom book, Fascinating F1 Facts, or you can listen to that, uh, or you can listen to me narrating those facts on our new podcast feed by searching Fascinating F1 Facts on your podcast player of choice or going to mistapexpodcast.com and looking for it in the shows tab. Uh, Joe, you you claim to me on Grand Prix weekends that you don't get involved in the partying because you're working far too hard. Is is Monaco an exception to that? No, not really. The only thing about Monaco is that you, you, you have practice on Thursday and you have practice on Saturday. And Friday is, it's not a day off, but basically Formula 1s don't go out. There are Formula 2, Formula 3. To be honest, I haven't looked at the, the, uh, the uh, schedule, but there will be races on Friday. And so there is a sort of an extra day. Um, and that goes 
historically that's because the Thursday used to be the Ascension Day holiday. So it was a national holiday and everyone would basically um, just take the, sorry, the Friday would take the day off and, uh, and have a good time. So, you know, it was, it, it was in that era it was um, a little bit different as a sort of party place to go. It still is. There's a lot of partying goes on, but it just depends what you have to do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, people who just come to party. But sadly, with the internet, blessed though it is, it means that the journalists generally work a lot harder than they do always. So um, in the old days, we had a lot more time. If you had one deadline a week, can you imagine just having on, on Tuesday morning, you had to deliver X thousand words, which is really easy. And then you have Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You can probably not do a hell of a lot, uh, which I did for many years. You know, I'd sit in my hammock in the, in the south of France, and I would and I would not actually have to work much. But you know, you, <laughs> you have to keep traveling to races. That's the other the other downside, um, downside upside, whatever you want to call it. But um, you know, we're always traveling as well. And I suppose nowadays, if you don't get your content out quickly, you get swarmed by people who weren't at the track reporting on stuff and i i I know your views on on those people on on me people uh, are well documented so we won't won't provoke you any further no 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 so i mean listen i'm not uh, there's nothing wrong with people wanting and having the ambition and the desire to be formula one reporters i i like that but but basically if you want to be a formula one reporter get up and go and do it and there are plenty of guys who are doing it now guys and girls actually who are who are making it happen and and that's the difference. I have an objection to people who are making it happen from home when they're not really. All they're doing is taking everyone else's work. So, you know, if you arrive in Formula One, you have no money and you're struggling, we'll look after you somehow or other. If right. we know about you, we'll look after you. Right. I'll get on a plane. I'll see, I'll see you there, Joe. I'll see you for Germany. Well, as long as you've got the pass, I can see you. If not, you haven't. You know. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Um, there's a, Obviously, we'll be talking about what's coming up in the calendar, uh, a few surprising changes in upcoming events. Uh, but firstly, the, the Monaco Grand Prix is going to be a little less Formula One. Unfortunately, we woke up to the news this morning that Nicky Lauda had passed away, and you wrote a, a beautiful piece on your blog that people can find by going to by searching for Joe Blogs F1. Obviously, for, for me, as a 38-year-old, I didn't experience Nicky Lauda as a racer, but for me, he was a character that brought post-race interviews to life. He was just a very honest, funny, frank guy. When everybody else around him was being quite corporate, Nicky Lauda was such a character. Absolutely. I mean, Nicky, there are no other Nickys in the world. The closest thing is, is Helmut Marco. Um, who's a friend of Nicky's, and um, you know they they, they kind of grew up together. So uh, I think that you know, that sort of blunt Austrian who just tells the truth. Sometimes their their, their view of the truth is a bit interesting. But um, <laughs> you know, Nicky was. How can you describe Nicky louder in 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 less than three quarters of an hour? You know, it's impossible. Nicky louder was was a legend. I mean, I grew up um, watching Nicky coming back from effectively being dead. To, to racing six weeks later. And you can't, you, know, you can read about it, but to actually have seen it at the time was just sort of wow. And I saw Nicky race um, at Silverstone in 79. I saw him race a few other times in the McLarens later on. Uh, and then I got to know him. I didn't always like him, by the way, I have to <laughs> say. He was not an easy character. But um, over time, you got to appreciate him. And, um, 
in fact, it was very strange. The other day I was, I was looking at my diary for some reason from 1984, and I joined Autosport, um, whatever it was, September, October 1984. I joined Autosport staff, and it was really exciting, you know. And a week later, a week later, I was sent to the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London, and my job was to interview Nicky Lauder, the world champion. The world champion. The previous week, he'd become world champion. And to this day, for the life of me, I don't understand what the hell they were doing sending me to interview. I was completely in awe of this bloke. I'm sitting next to Nicky Lauder, you know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, legends. You use the word legend very lightly nowadays. Um, but Nicky Lauder is, was, and always will be uh, a, a real legend because you know, what he did and where he, where he came back from. <laughs> he came back from, from just every kind of possible disaster you can think of. You know, his, his, his airline, which, which is a completely different side of the business, but, you know, away from the business, he ran a fantastically successful series of airlines. But he had to deal, at one point, he had to deal with a, with a crash which killed 200, more than 200 people. And, you know, if you ask Nicky, the, the, you know, the biggest setback in his career, he would not say crashing at the Nürburgring in 76 was the worst thing in his life. The worst thing in his life was his airline killing 200 people. But... Um, that you know he he it was boeing the the airplane failed and and nicky forced them to admit it publicly because otherwise his airline would have been destroyed um and that's nicky i mean nicky was just blunt and difficult and fantastic and in recent years he's mellowed he mellowed a lot quite a lot um and that was a little bit due to toto wolf who was a very good influence on nicky um and I think that, you know, Nicky just became the sort of elder statesman of Formula One. And, and you know, if you wanted to know the truth, you went to Nicky, and Nicky would pretty much tell you that, that this is what's going on. And these people are idiots, and these people are bullshit. And, you know, sorry, bleep for the kids. Um, but that's Nicky. Nicky Nick, 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 Nick was a bit like Gunter Steiner. Um, he, his language was perhaps not always um, perfect for the younger generations. But hell... What are we talking about? Younger generations know these words from the age of about nine onwards these days, don't they? They certainly do. Um, it might seem like a slightly shallow question, but for a lot of my generation and below, the film Rush is our biggest insight into his racing career. Do you know what his reaction was to that film? Because the character of Nicky Lauder in that film was certainly very endearing. I'm just I'm wondering what impression he had of it. Well, the, the, yeah, there's a, there's lots of very long stories about Rush, but basically uh, Daniel Bruel, I think his name was, did an amazing job um, playing Nicky because you looked at this and you saw, oh my God, that's Nicky as a <laughs> as a young man, and and he was just extraordinary. I mean, that's really a great piece of acting. I thought he deserved an Oscar, but what do I know um, in the film world? But I thought he was absolutely remarkable. Um, but you know, Nicky, uh, Nicky was different he was he was another he, he came from another world you know a little bit um and the movie the movie was okay it wasn't entirely factually correct but it was close enough um to get the story across the story of how the movie was made is is another um you know nikki had agreed to do the deal with somebody else but then hollywood came along and nikki said ah <laughs> i take the hollywood money <laughs> you know that was nikki that was prag- pragmatism um and I know that to be true because I was going to write the script on the other movie, oh, the original right. one. So, 
you know, perhaps they, I don't know if they did a better job, whatever, but you know, um, the cha- it, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. The chat room um, saying, just please do tell long stories about Rush. I don't think they mind at all, Joe. Okay. Oh, in fact, well, before you do, I'll just say that Critch is also asking, uh, do you have any, you know, good or funny memories of, of Nicky Lauda personally? Well, Nicky was, a, was, was brilliant. And at the same time, he was a, he was a, a pain in the neck. And I mean, I, I was, I was interviewing Toto recently. I don't know if the, the people who read Grand Prix Plus magazine will have read the interview with Toto, which is a remarkably unusual interview, uh, about, Toto and the way he manages things and, and life. But Toto was talking about when Nicky and he first started working together at Mercedes, they didn't get on at all. And um, it was basically because Nicky wasn't a team player. He was a, um, he was I, 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 me, 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 which is what racing drivers are. <laughs> and racing drivers have to be like that. Otherwise, you know, it's all very well saying um, I'm a team player. You know, fundamentally they're selfish. And, and, and Toto was sort of trying to get Nicky to become a team player. And so he fined him 50 euros every time Nicky said I rather than me. <laughs> Sorry, uh, rather than we. we. Yeah. And and it worked. And after, you know, because Nicky, you know, he, he knew the value of a, of a euro. Um, and after a few months, uh, they had a meeting at the team and I think they just won the first world championship, probably 2014, something like that. And Nicky said to the team, this victory means more to me than all my drivers world championships and that was it after that Nicky Lauda was as far as the team was concerned Nicky Lauda was the the inspiration of that team and I think you need to you need to understand how important Nicky is for Mercedes he is or, or you know although Toto is a very very good leader Nicky to a large extent was the the the, the figure they all looked up to he was the chairman of the company, and um, you know, I don't think necessarily it will impact upon the performance of the team, just in case people start thinking it will. But Nicky was the leader. Nicky was the inspiration. Nicky was this incredible, legendary figure. And I think uh, Toto said it really well today. He, he tweeted about what Nicky meant to the team. Um, and, he, and he said, you know, it was a, it was a privilege to work with him and, and to be his friend. Um, but it wasn't easy. And, you know, that's the thing about Nicky. Anyway, going back to the movie thing, uh, it was originally a project um, uh, that an Austrian producer was was going to make, and Nicky agreed, yes, let's do that. But the Austrian couldn't raise any money for it. And so instead he made a series of, of documentaries about Austrian sporting stars who came back from nowhere. Um, sorry, nowhere. I, they came back from serious injuries and had had become stars again. And one of these people was a, was a a countess who'd had a skiing accident, and one day literally sort of sat around for five years, not being able to do anything. One day just got up and sort of walked off, and could do it again. Weird, strange story. And and she actually was, and I can't remember all the names necessarily, but she was the mother-in-law of a Hollywood writer. And the Hollywood writer saw this ah. show documentary and saw the documentary about Nikki and and thought, oh, I can do something with that Nikki Lauda, and that's how it happened. And that's how his name was Morgan, but I can't remember the first name, which is probably he'll be deeply insulted by that. But sorry, Peter, Peter, I want to say Peter. Um, anyway, he was married to an Austrian countess, and that's how the whole thing ended up in in sort of Ron Howard and Hollywood land. And Nikki, being Nikki, just sort of said, "Ha, huh, 
I go with this because the money's better. And, you know, that's, that's Nikki. And so that's how um, Rush got made. And the irony is that the company that made Rush actually went bust. Uh, and it's all back in the hands of the Austrian producer who actually acquired everything afterwards. So he owns all the rights to Rush, which is actually, you know, I thought Ron Howard did a really good job on it. And I think they portrayed Nikki in a very good way. I thought they, the, their portrayal of James as well was, was James Hunt, um, was brilliant. So all in all, I think it was a terrific uh, movie. It's just that, you know, Hollywood sometimes, I don't know, audiences don't uh, haven't responded in the way they should. Um, or what one would believe they would um, to Formula One movies. I think that's because we need to win America over more than we have. It was a fantastic movie, and I can just hear it coming out of every pore of your being, uh, how fond you are of Nicky Lauda. I think it's fair to, to finish up by saying there's not going to be another one, is there? And Joe is raising his glass. Uh, Nicky Lauda sadly passed away. That's the news we woke up to this morning. Let's move on. Moving away from F1, just a teeny tiny bit, I've had a message from Squire in our patron Slack group who said, Joe, should McLaren be applauded for diversifying and trying different events? A bit like when F1 stars did that a bit more often in the olden days. And, like Alonso tweeted... If you try and do difficult things, you're going to fail sometimes. Or should they concentrate on F1, even though they aren't in a position to compete with the top three teams in the current formula? This is, of course, reference to the fact that Alonso and McLaren tried to qualify for the Indy 500 and surprisingly failed to do so, Joe. A surprise for you? No, not really. Um, oh, I uh, think there's a fire in your background, Joe. Escape no, no, the I building. It's a cleaning uh, thing going on. That's a lot of fuss for a cleaning vehicle. Yeah, but they have, you know, health and safety, you've got to have reversal noises these days. So I guess it's somebody cleaning. I don't really care, to be honest. Um, to go to the question about Indianapolis, did I think it was a good idea? No, I didn't. And I, and I made that point to the team. They didn't like the fact that I made that point to the team. They thought I was being negative and a bunch of other things. Um, and sadly, I've been proved to be correct. I just think they did it all wrong. Uh, I think they made a lot of bad strategic decisions. They blamed it all on Bob Fernley, which is probably not the right thing to do um, because it wasn't Bob Fernley's fault. Bob Fernley was hired to do a job, but somebody made the decision to go out there and make, you know, strategically go to Indianapolis. Why? Because they're trying to sell cars in America, but America's already their biggest car market. So they didn't need to do it. Um, they needed to concentrate on getting Formula One right. And right now, this week, they're fourth in the Constructors' Championship. But if you look at the championship points, there's 10 points and there's five teams within the, within the, the, that bracket. So this weekend, if they have a bad weekend, they could be eighth. So, you know, for, they're not doing, they're not doing well in Formula One. You know, they're doing okay this season. The car's not bad, but it's not great. So when, when you approach the McLaren hospitality, are you going to, you know, uh, say, I told you so, you fools? Now you no, listen to Joe. No, no, no. It's unseemly. It's Is unseemly it? Okay. To do that. But there's no question I did. Uh, and they know that. And, I, you know, I, I, I can't be going to McLaren Hospitality, to be quite honest. I can't be bothered because, if you know, people, um, people who, who stick around this board a long time see a lot of stuff. Okay. And you see mistakes being made. 
And I've seen a lot of mistakes by being made by a lot of people. And McLaren just made the same mistakes I've seen before. And that's what I was selling them. I said, don't do this. You need to focus on Formula One. Formula One is the most important thing. And actually, the board of directors was against going to Indianapolis. They were, then, they were turned around. They were swayed, saying this is a good idea. Well, it wasn't a good idea. What's happened is completely negative for McLaren. It, it just casts the, the team in a bad light. You can throw somebody under the bus and blame it on them. But the fundamental problem is that somebody decided to do something that was not sensible. Uh, well, we've got a chat room comment, and you can join our live stream by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. You can watch live and you can comment live like uh, Artemy X saying, I was just reading the story about McLaren's Indy 500 failures, and it seemed like a comedy of errors. And Go Harry Flatters uh, would like to ask you, Joe, in the wake of Bob being made the scapegoat for the Indy calamity, is it just coincidence that Alonso seems to leave a trail of upheaval behind him, quoting Sp- Spygate, Crashgate, Honda, uh, exactly. So, I don't know, is there something about Alonso's effect on an organisation? No, I don't think that's fair. Alonso doesn't help matters sometimes. He's not a very good team builder. Um, he wants what he wants, which is to win, which is normal for a racing driver, but he has a way of, of disrupting things. But I don't think I don't think he did anything wrong in this case. You know, he has an ambition. He wants to win the Indy 500. The mistake that was made um, was last uh, two years ago, they went to Indianapolis in an Andretti car, and they did well. If you look at the – go onto the internet and look how Connor Daly did in a one-off with Andretti, okay? He's right up there at the front. And if they were smart, you, you, you do – if you have to do – if you have to go to Indianapolis to, to you know, win the championship, win, win the race with Fernando Alonso – do it with a team that knows how to win. Don't do it with a whole bunch of uh, people thrown together. It's not a team. It's a bunch of people thrown together with engineering support from Carlin, who, who qualified one out of four cars. Uh, it's not, that's not necessarily Carlin's fault. They're new to the game. But, you know, Indianapolis is not easy. And that's, that's the point I was trying to make. And I think there was a sort of a sense of arrogance uh, in, in, at McLaren thinking that, going to Indianapolis was easy because it went so well in 2017. It only went so well in 2017 because they allied to a team that knew what they were doing. And if McLaren continue, I very, very much doubt that Alonso will be with McLaren in Indianapolis next year. I can't imagine why you do it. It's too much of a risk. You just go and get a job with Penske. You go and get a job with Andretti. You go to Ganassi. You'd find a way of getting a deal. Well, let's uh, bring that back to F1 then, Joe. What do McLaren do now? They get their head down. They kind of uh, sort of swallow their pride a little bit and concentrate on the job at hand. Uh, Perhaps not the best car suited for Monaco, but going through to the European season. I mean, they have shown flashes this season that they could be challenging for that kind of best of the rest spot. They're certainly bothering Renault. But but so has everybody else. Toro Rosso haven't produced the results that the car is capable of doing. But if you go through, you have Haas, you have Renault, you have Racing Point, you have McLaren, and you have Toro Rosso. You have five teams, all of whom could end up at the end of this season in fourth place. And that is a serious risk um, for McLaren. McLaren is not that far ahead of everybody else. They're not challenging the big teams at all. So let's get real here. Let's let's be sensible about things. And let's say, you know, 
McLaren, what is their core business of McLaren? It's an interesting argument nowadays. It used to be, it used to be Formula One. This is a person doing lunatic things on those hills up there in the <laughs> twisty roads. That that bike noise you can hear. Um, and there's lots of bunches of flowers on the roads around here because too many bikers do this stuff. Anyway, um, we'll have to see how it turns out. But the McLaren car is half decent. It's not bad, but it's not a it's not a a, a, a car that will win or challenge for anything. And you know, in in the overall scheme of things, it's not up there. The irony, of course, is not up there with Red Bull Honda. Um, and, of course, McLaren fell out with Honda and dropped them. So I think we'll have to see how they do. And um, at the end of the year, it's a better time to judge them. But I do think that going to Indianapolis and screwing up as badly as they have has damaged the McLaren brand. Now, they won't like me saying that, but to be honest, tell me another story that's true. Should we move up the grid a little bit? Um, Ferrari, who... Ow, ow, meow, meow. Why? We're going oh. up the grid. We're all right. That is a fact okay. that Ferrari are up the grid from... Yes, I know it's a fact, but it's still a bit of a meow. Anyway, well, go Well, a on, little yes. bit, but they're not as far up the grid as they potentially should be. Um, no, they're not. That's and, also true. And I think yeah. this would be a good stage to sort of stop and ask you how you think Binotto is settling in. Is he suffering from inheriting a system that isn't his or is he you know is he in your opinion taking it in a different direction the team isn't used to what why did that early potential back away uh well settling in is interesting because he's been there for about 20 years well in the role joe yeah in the role but you know i think he's doing okay um i think the problem is that um the car was it was it was very it was the fastest car in testing. There's no question about it. But they they didn't seem to be able to follow it up, and I think Mercedes found some things, and particularly in the last race in Spain, Mercedes arrived with a bunch of updates, and they blew the socks off Ferrari. The socks are somewhere in the trees near Barcelona, and they have to get together and take that hit, and then find a way of fighting back. And that's tough because you know that was Mercedes at their absolute most powerful sort of saying to everybody, yeah, yeah, if you want to beat us, you're going to have to do this. Now, I happen to think that this year, unusually, because Mercedes isn't usually very good at Monaco, but I think this year the car will be good at Monaco because it's good in low-speed corners. Normally, you would say Red Bull here, but Red Bull are not confident here. And Ferrari, I think, sadly, we're looking at sort of, I doubt they'll even make the podium. Really? Oh no! I'm, I seriously don't think they're going to make the podium here. So um, we'll see. We, a lot of it depends on qualifying, but and a lot of it depends on you know maybe they've got some updates that we haven't seen in action yet. You know, this is the way of Formula One now. Updates are coming all the time, and you know from one race to the next. Now I think Mercedes pulled out a, a pretty major, uh, a major lead in Barcelona, which is where we expected Ferrari to do well because that's where they did well in pre-season. But that shows you what three months in Formula 1 is like. You know, these, these things are not standing still. So to be quite honest, we haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> we'll go down on Thursday and see the first day. Uh, hopefully people will be, we will be well behaved because the mechanics quite enjoy Thursday evening in Monaco, which is sort of party night because you have the day off uh, the following day. <laughs> but um, and, yet, and they don't get many party nights, to be fair. Um, but Saturday, the serious business will begin. And um, we'll see. We'll see who is 
going to win. And then we'll be off to Canada, you know, and, and the completely different racetrack and a completely different set of circumstances may prevail. So do you think Ferrari are, are looking at Canada already? At the very least, are Ferrari still fighting for this season development-wise? Do you think they're still trying to make that gap up? Of course they are. But are they going to be able to do it? I don't know. Oh, and how do we know? No. Uh, one of the things that's key is the psychology of the racing team. And one of the things that Ferrari is very good at is panicking uh, and listening to the Italian press, which they should not do. Um, but they have done for years. And, and this is one thing that they had for the last couple of years, which was totally bonkers. But it was one way of dealing with it, which is just we'll ignore the press completely, everybody. Mainly, they were trying to ignore the Italian press. It didn't work. It just made them, everybody hate them, uh, you know. But the, the fact was that they were trying to protect the team. And if you look at the history of Ferrari and the way it's successful, Jean Todd, uh, difficult person though he may be, when he was at Ferrari, he protected the team. He let, he let them be themselves. He let them um, do take risks, do what they wanted to do. And 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 not you know, crucify anybody who made a mistake. Which and and we have to see if if that sort of the traditional Italian Ferrari is this sort of panicking and politicking and all the rest of it. And that's what we don't want to see. What we want to see is a Ferrari that is not panicking, not politicking, and is just working towards winning. And I hope we'll see that. If you were a mechanic on the shop floor or a, a- design chief in one of the design departments would you rather be in ferrari 2019 or ferrari 2018 oh 2019 no question ah no it's 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 another world that you know they they were so uh set upon in uh in the last few years by just by the way that the um the team was run it was just it was just crazy you know it it was it didn't make any sense Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Uh, we've got a question from Tibby Apples, uh, which uh, I'm interested in as well. For some reason, everybody's talking about the potential of, of Hamilton moving to Ferrari in 2021 or a story that he was close to moving to Ferrari in 2021. Joe, why has that made your skin crawl, That's that, that question? Because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Go on, why? Why? Because the whole thing comes from a, a question that Toto Wolff received from a member of Fleet Street who said... Uh, I can't remember the exact question, but it was, you know, uh, Lewis Hamilton could move to Ferrari, blah, 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 blah. And, and Toto said, yeah, he could move to Ferrari, but I don't think it's going to happen. And that gets turned into this thing. And then every kind of total <laughs> beep picks up the story and turns it. Lewis Hamilton's not going to Ferrari unless he's gone congenitally bonkers. He is not going to Ferrari. He's going to stay where he is because he's winning. And he'll go on winning if he stays where he is. If you go to Ferrari, you can't guarantee anything. And wearing a red suit does not make a damn difference. And, you know, get real. Get with the program, folks. You know, you go to Ferrari to destroy your career. And that's been the story. And I'm sorry, but that's been the story in recent weeks. Years, rather. You go to Ferrari to destroy your career and make a load of money, not to win it. And it hasn't been winning. When was the last time Ferrari won a world championship? Thank you. Yeah, I'm just going to stay off the YouTube comments for a couple of days there, Joe. Uh, always great to have you on board, though. Uh, again, I've been enjoying reading your blog. One of the things I like to do a couple of days after the race is go and find your green notebook where you talk about your your travels. So, like, or, or orange notebook last week. Yeah. Oh, you changed. You can't change the color of the notebook willy nilly, Joe. No, but I left the green one at home. You didn't read the last one clearly. Um, I left the or- the green one at home and had to buy an orange one at the airport. I normally read your race report after... I've been busy, Joe. Forgive me, forgive me. Uh, but in Monaco, for this one, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to catching up and reading about you uh, chin-wagging with all the stars, seeing the selfies of you and Bieber, which I expect... Bieber's a, a singer. Who? Yeah, no, I, I, I instantly realised my mistake. No, Bieber used to be a shop in Kensington when I was young, but I don't know, apparently he's a singer now. I don't think he was born when... Be- you, you've never heard of Bieber either because you're far too young. I'm, I'm pretending that I, I'm the generation. Bieber, Bieber was the coolest place to be in the 1970s. Not that I remember them very much, but I was a sort of um, a snotty little kid at that point. And I remember <laughs> Bieber was where the, the, the girls with 17-foot legs were always hanging out in their fancy flares and chaps looking like James Hunt would hang out there. That was Bieber, you know, who this Bieber local chap is. I guess he's got tattoos, does he? Possibly. And uh, just to say that at Miss Apex, we like legs of all lengths, not just 17 um. foot ones. Joe, you can be found by searching Joe Blogs F1. That's where people can get hold of your things, isn't it? And you have... Uh, and sounds e- pain- it sounds very painful. Actually. You have an e-magazine, and what what you do is you handwrite individual copies and post them to people after the race. So yeah, no. it's a slightly different model to the internet things. Am I am I not getting that right? No, no, no. Grand Prix Plus is the fastest and most fantastic magazine there is in Formula One because you get it six hours after the race. And it's ninety pages. And anyone who doesn't buy it is clearly you know missing something. You download it. PDF, you can print it out if you're old-fashioned, but you get everything you want to know about a race weekend features. This weekend, obviously, there'll be a lot about Nicky Lauda. There'll be the Monaco Grand Prix. There'll be other features in it. I don't entirely know because we kind of make it up as we go along. <laughs> and, you know, this is this is a few days before the race, so we've got, a, a, we've got 98-odd pages blank. In fact, we have a 
a total blank magazine right now. Um, and on Sunday night at about midnight, you will have it. We might even have, we did a few years ago, we even had a report of the Indianapolis 500 when Alexander Rossi won because he was an ex-Formula 1 driver. We actually had a report about an hour after he won the race. We had the whole thing in the magazine, which was published. So you know, that's the kind of thing. Now, if you want anything better than that, you know, tell me where you can find it. And it's cheap as chips. You know, a couple of beers and you bought yourself a subscription for the whole year. So search for Joe Saywood GP Plus magazine. And if you order it, he will type your copy out individually, scroll it up, put it in a raven and send it over to you uh, if he's not too busy catching up on Game of Thrones. Um, and Joe, I, I assume we can <laughs> we can all sign a petition to change the ending of Monaco if we want. No, you can you can sign any petition you like, but it won't work. And, and I, I have no idea about why. I understand a number of people got upset about Game of Thrones. I wrote something about Game I know nothing about Game of Thrones. I said I know nothing about Game of Thrones. All I know is that apparently a bunch of people wanted to change the ending, which is daft. You know, endings are what endings are. You know, Scarlett O'Hara getting shot at the end of Gone with the Wind probably wouldn't have worked, would it? You know, so whatever. I, I obviously, I enjoyed it. I, I tweeted that I enjoyed it. I think they stuck it with a pointy end. I'll just say one thing. Horses are for flanking employ someone next time who has played Rome Total War even once. But I digress, Joe. Uh, let's talk about... Let's Honestly, Joe, it makes sense. What just, are you talking about? Just watch it. It's good. And, and then you'll know what all the cool kids no, are talking about. Why would it be good? Why is it good? Uh, it's just fighting and... So basically, it's sort of, it's sort of porn with a bit of uh, uh, War of the Worlds or something, is it? Pretty much, Joe. Can we talk tracks? You, yeah, yeah, you, whatever. I mean, yeah. you called you called Zandavort about three months ago, and mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. people do sometimes get angry with you for leaking things, aka Silverstone accusing you of fake news. But you were bang on with the <laughs> Dutch Grand Prix. I am surprised as well. I'm surprised that that Hockenheim and Barcelona are off the calendar next year. I'm not surprised now because it's sort of been building up to it and we've heard rumours. But at the beginning of the season, if you said that this was going to be the last year for Hockenheim and the last year for Barcelona, I'd have been a, a little bit taken aback. No, not really. I mean, if you look at Barcelona, um, first of all, Alonso is no longer there. Alonso was the primary draw. But because Alonso wasn't doing very well at McLaren, the primary draw had ceased to be you know, that good. The crowds were not good. Um, the government is in all kinds of trouble in, in Catalonia and Spain. You know, if you read the news, you'll know it's, it's a big political problem. Um, and nobody wants to pay for it. Hockenheim, you, know, you can say, how can it possibly be? Mercedes are winning world championships, Vettel's at Ferrari. How can the Germans not care? And that's a really interesting question. But the fundamental bottom line of it is that the Germans don't care about Formula 1 enough to go and watch races. Now, if Mick Schumacher turns up in Formula 1, yeah. apparently this will change everything. The name Schumacher doesn't mean that he's as fast as his father or his uh, uncle, but apparently the, the, the beer-swilling, mullet-wearing fans of Formula 1 of the old days will be back if a Schumacher turns up. So who knows? But um, <laughs> right now, both those races are dead. And we're going to places that are enthusiastic about Formula One in the modern world. You know, Vietnam is going to be completely bonkers, I think. And and Holland, well, you know, sorry, the Netherlands, as I'm always told to say, but the Dutch Grand Prix taking part in the Netherlands, otherwise known as Holland to the English, um, will be a will be a massive hit. Will it be a great racetrack? Will it be this? Will it be that? You know, 
the, the Dutch are almost as negative in lots of respects as, as Britain can be, you know, chuntering, not like it used to be kind of people, <laughs> um, which, which is which is fine. But uh, I think that's one of the reasons why actually I got into, I, I was just sort of saying this is going to happen. It's going to happen because it's going to happen. It's logical. Um, and the, all the Dutch people going, oh, it can't possibly happen because of this reason, that reason. Well, it's happening, folks. And, you know, it's great. And Zandvoort was a great place to go motor racing. There's nothing like fritz and mayonnaise and some raw herring to you know, <laughs> set your hair on end. Um, okay. Not that I've got much hair left, but there you are, whatever. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, And it will be an orange country. The whole thing will be orange. And if you look at the, all the races in Europe these days, there's orange everywhere. The Dutch are going everywhere for to see Max. And, and you know, that's... It's all about Max, it's, uh, and, and races are all about drivers. So when when uh, Alonso disappears, Science is not in the same league. So the Spanish are not following Science in the same way they followed Alonso. The Germans are not following Vettel in the way they followed Schumacher. The Dutch are following for whatever reason. The Dutch, even though apparently they won the Eurovision Song Contest, um, which is was not a good song, Joe. Was not uh, a good song. Tell me a song that was good in the Eurovision. Not that I know very much the, about it. The but, Danish um, entry. You should watch it every year. You can come to our next Eurovision party. We have one every year. Actually, I did see the Danish entry, and I thought it was just, it was Brotherhood of Man on Coke. <laughs> <laughs> or Sleepy Lily Sorry, Allen. Anyway. Coca-Cola. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Obviously, I mean that. You know, Obviously, it zips you up a bit, you know. Yes, like this. Yes, see, there we go. I'll, I'll rescue you, Joe. Don't worry. I, I, I don't need rescuing, you know. But uh, no, I thought it was actually uh, far too twee. But then again, isn't the Eurovision Song Contest twee? And incidentally, if somebody could please explain to me why Australia was involved in that, I, I'd love to know. I think they're involved, but they can never win it. I think that's the secret rule. No, but they're not in Europe. Well, you know, Europe's kind of fluid at the moment, isn't it? Anyway. Anyway, Joe, should we stick with... Uh, in fact, let's leave Europe and go to Africa. Why are, yep. we, why are we going to Africa? Why, why the push and why is it in the news that F1 feels it needs to go to Africa? Is there a, an untapped African audience that F1 wants to, to tap into? Yes, there is a huge audience. Africa is, in many respects, the, the continent that will develop most of all. Uh, in the years ahead, commercially speaking, um, because there are the, the middle classes are emerging there faster than they're emerging elsewhere for various different reasons. I mean, obviously, Formula One wants to be in China. Formula One wants to be actually. There's no interest at all in being in India, which is quite interesting given the population size. But Africa has a lot of interest, and um, Africa has car industries. You have South Africa, and you have Morocco. Uh, I think the, all the stories about Morocco are just a, a sort of hurry up for South Africa because uh, South Africa is the place where the Grand Prix will logically take place. And the recently elected president, brackets 10 days ago, Cyril Ramaphosa, is a huge F1 fan. Um, and the reason I know this is because I met Cyril Ramaphosa when we were in South Africa a very long time ago and was so impressed by him um, that I wrote his name down in the book and said, so I'll keep an eye on this bloke. And when he turned up as president of South Africa, I, I sort of wrote an article to that effect, saying, watch out, there'll be a Grand Prix. And then Chase Carey and Sean Brack just started to visit South Africa on a fairly regular basis. And I think that's where things will end up. But I think 
you know, he's got some problems down there. It's a messed up country, but they need to sort out some power cuts and the electric crisis. Once they've done that, I think that, that, that Cyril will organize a Grand Prix at Kailami, and I think it'll be very successful. I understand why Morocco would want to do it. There's only going to be one Grand Prix in Africa. I doubt there'll be two. Um, although, if the money is good enough, there might be two. But um, I think that the country will benefit. Either country will benefit from having Formula One because it does terrific things for tourism, for image, all the rest of these things. And you only have to look at a number of Euro Asian countries to see the impact, or even Middle Eastern countries, to see the impact Formula One can have in a positive way. And so they all recognize this and they want to see it happen. So I, I'm looking forward to going back to Africa. Formula One should be everywhere, apart from the Antarctic. I really don't want to go there. You know, It's cold. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, nice is bad enough in May. We don't need the Antarctic too. So. <laughs> Uh, Joe, can we move to legal matters? Because I've had a bone to pick with Ferrari for a long time about logos. We've had that M for six years now, and Ferrari just swan in, nick our M, and, and plant it all over their car, and no one says a word. However, Rich Energy have uh, have a logo that looks a tiny bit identical to a bike company, and it causes chaos. I mean, that looks like a nailed-on case of someone going... Yeah, no one will notice. No well, one will it's notice. Not, it's not identical because there's a little extra horny thing. Yes. If you'll pardon me, I, I rephrase the term horny. Yes, too late. But but too late. Okay. Um, but it's not identical, but it is very similar. And, you know, that's the way of the world. If you nick somebody else's logo, they sue you, you lose. So, you know, did they nick it? Who knows? Probably not. Maybe yes. What's the likelihood of them coming up with exactly the same logo? Not a lot. So you know, let's face it. Anyone out there yet bought a, a, a can of this stuff? We have to ask the question, what the hell is going on? And I have asked the question, what the hell is going on, a number of times. And the Has team very, very, very correctly, very correctly said, we have bank guarantees. The money is going to come, whatever happens. Why would you turn it down? And to be quite honest, I agree with that. Why would you turn it down? If a bank will guarantee a sponsor, that means the yeah. bank will pay if the sponsor doesn't. So why would you turn it down? It's bonkers. So, you know, somewhere in the middle of all this, the bloke with a funny beard must have a product and must have a plan, must have this, must have that. Uh, but just get on and do it and stop messing about with getting your logo turned around and just, just, Produce some drinks. We all test and go, Ugh, whatever, as we do with all energy drinks, or at least I do. It you know. tastes exactly the same as Red Bull. So I'll save any Well, people, people do tell me that it is actually Red Bull oh, in, right. in okay. another can, which is allegedly. an interesting argument. Yeah, we need to just say allegedly a few times, and I think we're covered. Well, I'll just say allegedly five times. But I have been told that, it, in <laughs> fact, it's just Red Bull in another can with another idea, and God knows why they'd try it. But whatever. Because the other thing is, if you want to know about energy drinks, you just go to the the tin can manufacturers, and they'll tell you uh, who's making the cans. And Rich Energy ain't making cans. <laughs> now they might have had a deal to do ninety million cans with Red Bull's canning. So you you might ask yourself, is this a sort of Mattershits pretending doing another Red Bull and trying to do another? Well, I don't know what the hell's going on. Whatever's going on, something's going on. But just get on with it and do it. That's my view. And check, you know, if the logo's nicked from somebody else, change it. Fair enough. Joe, I want to finish up by asking your opinion 
on some of the negativity that's flowed out of the last two races. I think Baku, it delivers when there's a safety car. And then we've seen for two years it, it doesn't deliver. And then people kind of had this oh no, not again feeling when Lewis Hamilton was so far ahead and looked so comfortable out in the lead at Barcelona. Now, there's a normal background noise of moaning and uh, and negativity. But on the Sunday show, we were talking about Martin Brundle's column where he wrote a very passionate article. And I think he's hurting from the negativity. He's been in, in the sport for a long, long time. Uh, I was just wondering, like, you know, you're, you're of that generation as well. Do you share the grumpiness about no, what's not, going on? No, not at all. Ah. Not at all. I see what Martin is saying. Um, I don't agree with him. I, th- I have a much more positive view of Formula One in the future. I think we're going into good places. Right now, it doesn't necessarily fit with the grumpy old man audience that Formula One has. But the Netflix... Uh, documentary i've seen it myself you walk you walk around to the grand prix paddocks and you not the paddocks in, in the public areas and you see a different demographic i can't necessarily quantify it but i can see it i see women and children walking around you didn't see that in the, you just saw grumpy old men <laughs> and, and their sons wandering around occasionally but i'm seeing a change of the kind of people who come to formula one and i love that because it means that there is more of a future but to, we should not be dictated by people who are trying to go. Everyone who is negative is trying to go backwards to, to some great era that did it ever really exist? Yeah, there were good years, there were bad years. But if you look back, you know, we heard the same criticisms when Red Bull won the championship for four years running. We heard we heard the same criticisms when Ferrari won it for six years. We heard the same criticisms when Williams Renault won it for five years. We heard the same criticisms when. McLaren Honda were winning it all the time. We heard the same criticisms when Williams Honda were winning it. And you go back to McLaren Tag, and we're talking 30 years ago, and we heard the same criticisms. So, you know, come on. It's just the way the sport is. The difference is that the change, um, uh, the word I'm, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but basically the waves of change, the interconnections, a, a team comes up, another one goes down. Uh, they take longer now. Because there's more money, there's more people, there's more. It's more of an industrial change. In the old days, you'd see the change in two years. Now you see it in five, and and that's where we're at now. If they can and they must um, bring about uh, a budget cap and simpler cars, just 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 not wasting money on stupid things. And, and stupid things include motorhomes, to be quite honest. You know, all these silly things they spend money on. Um, but but brake brake ducts and, and and gearbox cassettes and all this all this stuff it can be standardized. Nobody will know the difference because the, the cars are fundamentally one is fast because it's aerodynamically better than another one, or because there's more horsepower. All the rest of it's just a waste of money, and. This is because engineers are engineers, and you, as an engineer, you'd know this. Um, they are always looking for perfection, but perfection is not necessarily what you want in a sport. What you want in a sport is good competition, and therefore having a budget cap, the best team's still going to win. Mercedes will still win if there's a budget cap because it's the best team. It's as simple as that. They are the best team. There is no question about it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and if there is a better team that comes along, and I hope to see that. I hope to see whoever. If you look at the facilities these people are working from, you know, you want to see Ferrari. We all want to see Ferrari do better, but they never do. You see Red Bull, they've got the potential to do it. There's a bunch of power there. Honda are really keen to do well. You, you look at Renault. You know, they're, they're working their way forward and they're doing clever stuff, but, you know, is it enough? You see McLaren, let's stop the blah, blah, blah and get on to the serious <laughs> stuff. Uh, you see Williams, disastrous. Um, Racing Point, it says they want to do better. Great. Let's see all this stuff. Let's see it all move forward. Let's see it all work. Let's see the midfield competition, which is so tight, move to the front. Because you, right now we've got two or three teams ahead. Yeah. And the rest are fantastic. To be fair, the chat room are being quite positive. So good. I mean, good. That, there's there's a danger, isn't there? Especially now with everyone having a voice on the internet, is that we get panicked and spooked by a very loud minority. But really, I mean, the last few years we've had some really good racing, some really good Grand Prix, and you can't honestly tell me that a third of the way through the last five seasons you knew exactly which driver was going to be the driver champion. No. You you didn't know at all, and it's silly to suggest that. And and you know, yes, McLaren and Mercedes have won five consecutive seasons, but it was not easy, you know. And when they were dominant, and they were dominant at one point, when they were dominant, their drivers were fighting each other, and we've got that this year. You know, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. It's three two, and don't underestimate Valtteri Bottas. And, you know, and believe me, Toto Wolf will let them race because he understands that, yeah, if you let them, if you have team orders, the only time he's applied team orders in the last five years was once. And they were, it was like a funeral after the race was over. It was terrible because it was like, so yeah. we didn't, you know, we didn't want to do this, but we had to do this because Ferrari was so close to us. You know, Formula One is healthier than it, than I I think it's healthy, and it's been for many many years. And I'm very very confident and positive for the future. Joe, you talked about the demographic changing at Grand Prix. One place the demographic isn't changing though is at an audience with Joe that you tend to put on, where you will speak for yeah, a few it's hours. Changing. Well, it's is changing. it? Yeah. All right. Okay. No, well, I'll, I'll take your word. No, for no. It. I, I get. I get. In the last few years, I had fans, and I thought, wow. Where do these people come from? <laughs> How is this? You know, why why is why are these people um, coming to see what I have to say? The fact is that if you're a fan, it seems like they enjoy it. The fans enjoy it. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm just talking. You know, whatever. I drink a bit. I tell some stories. Let's have fun. So what Joe does is Joe sets himself up uh, at a lectern uh, with a free flowing supply of. Uh, wine and uh, you'll sometimes get through uh, you know you're, you're pretty sensible most of the time you keep it to three or four bottles don't you um but you're there you hold audience for for about four hours and it is a great laugh because uh joe will go into a, a lot more detail uh on stories and a lot more personal when the microphone is and on. and and also i do impersonations too but i mean yeah far a bit for me because oh, yeah. would want me to give them a card or something but... yeah i know your, your kermit the frog is outstanding I thought my Ron Dennis was outstanding. My Frank Williams is pretty outstanding. You know, I'm, you know, 
Rubber ducky, you're the one. Or was that Bert and Ernie? I don't know which one that is. Um, okay, Joe, <laughs> thank you. I have no idea what you're talking about, being a foreigner these days. Isn't it? So. Thank you so much for joining us here on Missed Apex Podcast. We love you hanging out in the shed, and we've loved hearing the, the sounds of Monaco behind you. And, and if you prefer, you can watch the video where you can see the sights of Monaco behind Joe or somewhere in that region. The tip to shout. And very impressive, very impressive thing. Is that a real name? Do I have, that sounds like I might have to beat that. Or was that just a foreign word? No, no, t- oh. just, yeah, dog's head. Righty, I'll have to trust it's you on the that. Big, it's the big rock thing. <laughs> just go, if you ever get down here, go up to the top of the Tête de Chien, Let Elbe, and look down on Monaco, and you just go, wow. Because it is like, you know, you know, you know in, in England, they have these sort of model villages and things, you know, where you used to look at it tatty little <laughs> things that they have in the old days. Yes. That if they still exist. But this is, this is it for real. You know, this is looking down on the world and going, oh, look, there's, you can see the Ferrari motorhome. It's that red thing two miles away. <laughs> and yeah. those boats don't look that big when you're up here. Believe me, you're up here with the gods. This is where Nietzsche came up with the idea of, of the, uh, of the, um, Ubermensch and the Untermensch. It's true. Nietzsche, <laughs> Nietzsche used to come here on his holidays and that's where he came up with the ideas of being gods and people down in the real world. And so I'm up here at La Turbie feeling like a god. And tomorrow I'll go down with the Untermensch again. Fantastic. Follow Joe by going on Twitter at Joe Sayward or searching for Joe Blogs F1. You can follow the show at Missed Apex F1 or me at Spanners Ready. Joe, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope you do let your hair down a little bit. And uh, I'm sure you'll be having one for Nikki as well over the course of the weekend. Guys, we'll be doing our Monaco race review at 8 p.m., on Sunday. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Hit it, Bjorn. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed. And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.